Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. A listener note before we get started. A pretty intense rainstorm rolled in during the filming of this podcast, so you'll be able to hear some of the rain and thunder. I apologize for the background noise, but appreciate your understanding as you listen. When you think of a Texan, you probably picture a cowboy, maybe even a kid riding to school on a horse. And while that's sometimes the case, it doesn't quite fit for everyone. Texans come in all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, and backgrounds. And that's why the Austin American Statesman is proud to present Truly Texan, a podcast showcasing all the different people that make the Lone Star State so unique. Today, we're speaking with Raven Kay, an Austin-based seamstress who was a winner of this year's Her Universe Fashion Show at the famed San Diego Comic-Con. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So for our listeners, can you introduce who you are and what you do? Sure thing. So I'm That's So Raven Kay, um, and I run That's So Austin over on East Cesar Chavez, which is Austin's first co-sewing space. Um, and we offer classes, one-on-one classes, and memberships, which is like the really cool thing. So you can get a membership to the studio space. Yeah. So this is not our first time meeting. We've chatted quite a bit because I wrote a feature story on you from when you won the big Her Universe fashion show at San Diego Comic-Con, which we'll talk about later. But today I was hoping we could just dive in deeper into your sewing career. So uh, let's start with just where you grew up and where your interest in sewing started. Sure thing. So I'm actually from rural Alabama. A lot of people think that I'm from Texas just because I kind of... uh, I would say I embraced the Texas lifestyle a little bit once I got here, um, but uh, I think the country's kind of the same no matter where you're from. If, as long as it's in the South, it's, it's pretty similar, right? So um, grew up in a tiny town. The majority of my family is all on the same street. Um, the street I grew up on was called Harriet Tubman Road off of Frederick Douglass, which is like, so very much rural Alabama. Um, my grandmother taught me how to sew because I was a very rambunctious child, and she needed to keep me busy. So <laughs> she gave me a needle, and that definitely uh, freaked out my mom a little bit. She was a bit concerned, um, but I definitely took to it, and it kind of became my, my whole life at this point. So um, I've been sewing for well over 20 years proficiently, so um, started at 7, but got really good at it, and it's pretty much my whole thing. Um, so I moved to Texas in the middle of COVID. Um, I had been a couple of times, I have family that lives out here, so I've definitely been to Houston several times at that point and like spent summers here and that kind of thing, but um, I moved here in the middle of COVID and uh, started teaching here, but I started teaching up in Washington State when I lived there for a little bit, and as I got into the Texas sewing scene, uh, more and more people wanted classes, and so I really leaned into that, trying to make sure that I could provide that service to the community, and now we have a permanent location, which is very cool. So even though it's only been a few years for you permanently living in Texas, do you feel like a Texan yet? I would say yes. So a lot of my um, family members are actually cowboys, so we rodeo out in Alabama. Little known facts, we do rodeo out there, so I'm pretty familiar with the lifestyle. Um, So it's kind of nice to be in the home of it all. Uh, It definitely feels really good. It's very familiar for me. Um, But I think I'll be here for a long time. I don't really see myself leaving Texas anytime soon especially Austin. Austin is 
very near and dear to my heart, and it definitely felt more like home. I kind of like in Austin to Savannah, Georgia, which is where I went to college. They kind of have the same vibe, and so moving here felt like I was coming home. So with sewing, if I remember correctly, you said that you were kind of pestering your grandma to teach you, right? I definitely did. Um, So I saw her do it a lot, and uh, apparently none of the other family members took much of an interest in it. My mom would talk about the fact that anytime they had a special occasion, my grandmother was the one that made everybody's outfits. Because, you know, you got to match in the South. It's like a thing. You have to look like a unit. So (laughs) she was making all of the girls' dresses and all of the boys' stuff, um, and there's quite a few of them. So that was an endeavor for all of her kids. Um, but I saw her do it. I think she was working on like a couch cover or something. And I was immediately fascinated by it. And she told me that that's how clothing was made. And that's how I made like my first skirt. And I'll have to send you a picture of it. I think we talked about it. Still haven't found it, but it's somewhere in my studio. Um, the first thing I ever made, uh, was like a, a fit and flare kind of skirt with pleats in it. It's very cute. Um, but it was made of that scrap fabric from her couch cover because she was like, I'm not buying you fabric to do this as a seven-year-old. And I've looked at the stitches and I'm kind of impressed that I was doing it that young. Um, but yeah, I definitely bothered her and I got my first sewing machine and that kind of took over my whole life too. And they were very scared that I was going to sew over my finger. So they took it to a shop and had it slowed down. This is before they had the speed differential on machines. So they had it permanently slowed down so that I was less likely to sew over my finger. But I got frustrated with that very quickly because it was like, let's go. I want to make things. It's taking too long. Um, so they got me another one and that kind of kept me going. Would you say that you were maybe like a prodigy or like were gifted with it? I mean, you said you looked at those <laughs> like those, you know, the stitches that you did and they're pretty good. Like, yeah. did you just kind of realize you had like a talent and knack for it? I think, I don't know. I... I've always been a crafty kid, and I was an only child for a long time. Me and my younger brother have about an 11-year age gap, so I had to keep myself busy a lot. Um, And so I was always drawing or playing with something, and of course I was obsessed with Barbies because I was, you know, a super girly girl, so I had all of the Barbies. And I always really liked their clothes, and so the idea that I could make my own, I think, kind of became more of a hyperfixation. I don't know if I'd go as far to call myself a prodigy, but I um, definitely kind of outgrew what was available in my town very quickly. Um, I went to the, you know, classes at Hobby Lobby, and then at the time, small town, right, we didn't have a Joann's, so it was Hancock Fabrics. And then my mom found a very nice woman named Mrs. Chu who would teach me quilting, so that's how I kind of tested my hand sewing skills, and I will admit, hand sewing skills is what saved me in college. Having that skill set definitely saved me in college because it's not just, when you're dealing with couture things, a lot of it is hand finishing. It's not just the machine. So doing that as a young kid and learning that patience definitely helped me out a lot. But I think it was the older generation being willing to teach me that got me to the level that I was at. A lot of women poured into me to get me to the point that I'm at now. So not a prodigy, but I would definitely say it's it's because of them that I got here. Yeah. Hmm. And how did you come to realize that this was something you wanted to do as a career, not just as like a hobby for yourself, but as something you wanted to go to school for and make a name in? So I always thought, this is so weird, when they ask you in like middle school what you're going to, what do you want to be when you grow up? I used to, this is very cringe, I would say I wanted a fashion empire, had no idea what that meant. Um, all it I sounded kn- good, though, right? <laughs> it sounded really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I knew I wanted a fashion empire. I had no idea what that meant. Uh, but I knew I wanted a career in fashion pretty early. 
um, regardless of like how I was doing in school, which I did fairly well. I thought about being a lawyer and things like that. And I was like, I don't know. It just doesn't speak to me in the same way. Um, so as soon as I figured that out, I really focused on it. I only applied to one school. It was, I'm very hyper-focused as a person. If I've decided I'm doing something, that's the thing that I'm going to do. So as soon as I decided I wanted to be a fashion designer, I found all the schools. I picked SCAD. I tailored my senior, my high school senior stuff to that. All of my essays were written for that. All of my SAT scores, every time I took it, I knew what goal I was going for. Um, so everything was tailored around making sure that I was going to get to be a fashion designer. And so I don't know all the, the terminology. I know that you said like couture so like there are different avenues with fashion there's couture there's I'm guessing like kind of more everyday clothing yeah like so how did you decide what avenue was right for you and what are kind of the different options that you had so um SCAD's really good about making you be a well-rounded designer so you're going to do the full gambit of collections like I even did um, children's wear at one point so that was kind of cool but I leaned more towards couture because it challenges me. Um, ready to wear is typically what you can buy in stores, and it, it becomes a lot more about the sketching and less of the construction. Even when you get into high-end ready to wear, which would be considered luxury, um, a lot of that still doesn't, it's not made by the designers, it's made by artisans, so it's made by craftspeople. Um, whereas couture, if you're in a smaller couture house, the designer may still be sewing. Not every designer sews, but a lot of couture designers do make those gowns, um, and that's where that expertise comes in. Can you talk more about SCAD and your experience there, and what did you do coming out of SCAD? So going to SCAD, I ended up getting um, academic and artistic scholarships, which was pretty cool. Um, they even like sent somebody to my high school to present me with them, which was very weird because tiny high school, absolutely tiny high school. Um, but it was like a really big deal for me. Again, it was the only college I, I applied to. So when I got there, I was terrified. Um, I was absolutely terrified of failure. And SCAD is one of those schools that a lot of people don't finish. They get in, but their graduation rate isn't super duper high. Um, but the rule is basically if you finish, you have almost a guaranteed job. Um, so when I got in, I worked really, really hard. I actually had jobs throughout college, which is super frowned upon. I remember, I think it was my freshman year, and I was in, like, drawing one or something, and they were like, do not get a job. You will not finish this college. And I was like, well, fabric, fabric's expensive, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a job. Um, so I worked all through, and then when I finally graduated, it was definitely one of the, like, proudest moments of my life because there were moments while I was in school that I wasn't sure if I could do it, um, a lot of my colleagues are immensely talented. Like, I graduated in the same year as Christopher John Rogers, which he's an amazing designer. And so thinking about the fact that we were in the same studio spaces and in the same classes, it's, it's, a ve it's very humbling. I'll say <laughs> it's a humbling experience to know that everyone around you is just as talented, if not more talented. So you really have to push yourself to even stand out at SCAD. Um, so once I graduated, I looked at some internships. A lot of the internships were not going to be available to me because I financially couldn't afford it. A lot of them, they wanted you to um, go live in New York for a little bit or do things like that. And I, I had to work in order to be able to finish school. So I moved out to Atlanta for a little bit. I did some stuff out there for um, kind of up and coming designers. I worked at one of the Nike flagships for a little bit doing merchandising, which was really cool. 
Um, and then I ended up moving out to Washington State where I worked for a small upcoming designer there. Um, and I helped her do her collections and she did what, LA Fashion Week, New York Fashion Week, Seattle Fashion Week, a couple of those. And she had a pretty decent clientele base, so that was really cool. I learned a lot from her, um, just from the business side of things, of what it looks like to run a small business. And then that's actually where I started teaching. So when I taught, I figured out that that's where I got the most joy, um, was teaching other people how to do the thing that makes me happy. So um, that's the start of That's So Austin, I guess, is when I started teaching in, in Washington State, yeah. And I'm sure the teaching is also really important because I think a lot of people consider sewing as kind of a dying art or something that doesn't get passed down. I mean, I'm guilty of not having the patience to learn from my grandma um, how to sew, and I regret it immensely. Oh. So, like, what has that been like for you to keep that tradition going and keep that alive with your students? Yeah, I would definitely say the running joke amongst the sewing community, especially in my, um, I would call them elder sewists or my seasoned sewists, rather. Um, it skips a generation. So my mom cannot sew at all. Not her thing, can't do it. She can put a button on, but as far as sitting in front of a machine, that's not happening. Um, so the fact that it skips a generation, what we're seeing now is that Gen Z is starting to learn how to sew. Um, and sometimes it'll skip two. So there's not a lot of knowledge that's transferable to the Gen Z generation outside of things that I would say are considered grandma core. So you're starting to see quilted jackets and crocheted pieces and that's really trendy now. Um, so teaching them and trying to bring those two generations together is really important to me because the time that I spent with my grandmother learning how to sew is the most valuable thing to me. Um, she's passed now so I don't have her anymore. But when I look back on those times, the things that she taught me and the way that I teach is really formed by the way that she taught me. And one of my favorite um, professors at SCAD also taught in a very similar manner. Um, it's very, I guess, matronly, very grandmother-like. Um, I would call her my fairy godmother because it's very similar, right? She would be very gentle with you, but she would hold you to a high standard. So she's not going to yell at you or like fuss at you, but it's more like, I believe in you and I know that you can do better than this, so let's try it again. Um, and I've found that when it comes to teaching, there's, it doesn't matter what age you are, that has been probably one of the, the best gifts that I've given people because they're very used to um, maybe, I don't know, teachers in the past haven't been as supportive, especially with you know going through college and having that really hard, rigid curriculum, I think that having it be fun and a little bit more relaxed is one of the better ways that I can keep people sewing because people get frustrated with this. <laughs> it's, a, it's a kind of a difficult thing to learn. Um, and so I try to make it as entry level friendly as possible. So now let's talk about San Diego Comic Con yeah. and your participation in the Her Universe fashion show. But before we even get into <laughs> just the meat of it, mm -hmm. can you talk about your background and just experience in pop culture sphere, the fandom nerd sphere? Like, what was your first kind of fandom? And I know, I know one of them, but. I'll let, yes. I'll let you say it. <laughs> so my first, I would say, realm into fandom would probably be Inuyasha. I used to watch it on Toonami at 4 o'clock in the morning with my little cousin during the summers. Um, that definitely started it. So anime was my first, I guess, love when it comes to fandom. And then I started getting into, I think the first Wolverine movies came out. And that kind of started that for me. 
Um, love a good fight scene, obviously coming from the anime world, love a good fight scene. So watching any of the Wolverine stuff and the X-Men stuff happened, and then I found out about Storm, and I was like, oh my god, this is my girl. I love her so much. She's the coolest person ever. And then I got really deep into the Marvel fandom. Don't get me wrong, I love DC, but Marvel is like my bread and butter. That's my baby. Um, and so moving into that, I heard about her universe from a friend of mine, and I kind of was like, oh, that's really cool. That's a really cool concept. What do you mean? What is geek couture? So you start doing research, you start looking at stuff, you watch the past couple of um, shows, and you're like, okay, I want to do this. I think I want to do this. So the year before I entered, I had planned to enter, and I'd done some sketches, and then life happened, and it just didn't work out. I didn't submit, but this time I submitted. Um, so it was my first time submitting, first time being accepted, and then I won on my first shot too, which is like kind of a thing um, it's pretty big that's a pretty big deal it's been really nice um, and I was not expecting it to be one the designers are some of the nicest people I've ever met they genuinely are some of the nicest people I've ever met and coming from a traditionally fashion background that's rare um, to have this many people just be kind uh, I'm not going to speak ill on the fashion industry, but some of the stories are true. Miranda Priestly is a stereotype for a reason. <laughs> it's, it's a very valid experience for a lot of my friends that are still in that um, proper, quote-unquote, fashion industry. So um, coming over to Geek Couture and meeting cosplayers and, and the likes of them, they've just been fantastic, super welcoming, especially because I don't really cosplay that I've done cosplays for clients before, but I'm not the one that normally puts the garments on and wears them. So this being my first real quote-unquote cosplay, even though it's technically not from the comics, <laughs> it's more inspired by them, but I would definitely count this as my first cosplay. So yeah, I'll definitely be doing it again. But yeah, our universe has been a wonderful experience. And the gown that you made for the show was inspired by Storm, one of the powerful ladies of the X-Men. Can you talk a bit more about just what she means to you specifically? Uh, yeah, seeing Storm and, my goodness, one, she looks like me. So for a lot of the things when it comes to fandom, there's not a lot of people that look like me. So having Storm show up and having her be Omega level was really interesting. Um, she's super powerful, and even when you watch like the um, animated series, she's a professor. Like she's a teacher. She teaches, um, so that was really, really nice for me to get into and like seeing people respect her and go to her for leadership and how wonderful she is as a leader. Um, and just she carries herself with such grace, which I also really wanted to emulate as a young girl. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, I want to be like her. That's she's a good role model for me. Um, so Storm is very near and dear to my heart, and then just the iterations that we've seen of her moving forward through the fandom, her on Krakoa, or her um, getting married to Black Panther, and seeing like the softer side of her. We've seen her like kind of be in love a couple of times, but I think her and T'Challa is like that's a little that's a special connection. It's very sad they didn't make it. Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, watching her grow as a character has been really really paramount to me, and so I'm very excited to see what they do with her because they're rebooting all of the MCU universe versions of her. So I'm kind of excited to see what they do with her on the big screen this time. Yeah, me too. It's so yeah. exciting. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> what was the process of making your storm gown for the show? Ooh, okay. So 
first was sketching. So we sketched every, we, I think I sent three looks. All of them were Storm because, again, I'm obsessed. So I sent her universe three looks. There is, like, kind of a jury process where they look at everybody's um, designs. They look at your fabrication, all that fun stuff. I submitted a video as well. So they kind of got to get to know a little bit of my personality and a little bit of my background. Um, and so they selected one of the looks that in my head they would have never selected <laughs> because to me the look that they picked was very it leaned more high fashion and less in line with what we had seen of storm in the comics that dress is more conceptual of what a storm would look like versus pulling from her actual wardrobe it just there's not a ton of it that is a direct reflection of what we've seen of her in the comics um so when they picked it it's like okay now I have to make this. This is a very technically difficult dress. <laughs> um, so there's a fully boned corset underneath it that is sheer. So that means that I could not do double layers. It's all single layer, really, really strong netting um, and like a flesh nude kind of tone with almost contrast piping. It's a slightly different color, but I did want it to be noticeable that there is boning in this dress. I'm very big on like body positivity. Um, especially when I'm talking to students, when they see dresses that, that have been made online and they're like, oh, I, why doesn't it fit me like this? A lot of times what you're looking at in couture is what we call underpinnings or the structure that's underneath the gown. So for me, I wanted to make sure that it was super obvious that, yeah, I'm wearing a corset. The dress is doing a lot of the work. Don't get me wrong. Um, good patterning will take you very far when it comes to creating a silhouette that may not be naturally given to you. So. Once that was done, then I spent literal days, back-to-back -back days, um, pinning each one of the pleats to make the dress look wet. Um, the fabrication for that dress is a power mesh um, with a silver reflection, um, like foiling on the back. So I'm actually using the wrong side of the fabric for this dress. So when you look at it and if there's light on it, it reflects back as if the fabric is wet, but it's not silver. Um, so the wrong side of the fabric is what's actually viewable on the outside. And it's all kind of pleated and wrapped all the way around this dress. Um, and then there's lights going across the bust and through the arms so that we get the effect of um, lightning within the clouds, within the organza. So that kind of diffuses the harsh light of like standard LED lights with a battery pack. Um, some of the other designers have like coding backgrounds and so they are very good at coding a lot of their lights. I literally got mine from Amazon. Um, so that was really cool to, to put lights in a dress. There's not a lot of times as a traditional designer that you will have the opportunity to put lights on a couture gown. So we did that and then I had a lot of um, raindrop beads and so all of that had to be hand done because there's not really a place that you can get ombre raindrop beads. So I did all of that beading and then put all of that on the dress and then the beads that you see on the body of the dress, like on the black portion of the dress, are stretchy. Um, and the reason they stretch is because a lot of times when you have beading like that and it's loose from the garment, it will break. And you'll end up with beads all over the floor and you just, you'll ruin your dress before you ever get on the runway. So those beads are stretchy and that was one of the things that the judges brought up is the fact that I had made it stretchy because I think it was a previous look that did similar beading. And that was one of their biggest issues was the breaking of the beads and like it, would, it was ruining the dress kind of thing. 
Um, yeah, and then the bottom of it has horse hair, um, which not made from horses. It's actually plastic, but it's fashion and sewing is such an old thing that we have very antiquated <laughs> terminology for a lot of things. Um, so yeah, there's like this plastic ribbing boning at the bottom to kind of push the dress away from me because I couldn't do tulle underneath it. I couldn't do any type of petticoating because then the dress wouldn't look sheer. So a lot of this had to be planned out well before we got to that stage because I could not do any of the normal things that you would do in like a gown as far as, you know, um, not being able to see the boning and then using tool to try to create volume. And yeah, so we had to, had to plan a lot of that well beforehand, but it, it worked out. <laughs> it yeah. definitely worked out. Definitely. And then what was it like actually walking the runway? I know you said you don't remember too much, kind of <laughs> kind of blacked out, yeah. but what was that like for you? So I couldn't, I had blue contacts in because if there's one thing I'm going to do, it's going to be commit to the bit. So I had blue colored contacts in and I'm not one of those people that wears contacts. I actually wear glasses and those contacts were not prescription. So I couldn't really see, um, especially because of the lighting. Um, the, obviously, if you've ever worn contracts, they don't really move with your eye. So I couldn't see much except for the runway. Um, when I got off the runway, because I don't remember any of the actual runway, when I got off the runway, I immediately started crying. Um, I'm very, I don't like a lot of spotlight on me. And so to be on a stage like that was very nerve wracking. And so I got off stage and immediately started crying. And I ran into Ashley X. I ran into her and was crying and she was like, you did so good. And I'm like, boohoo crying. She's like, it's okay. You did so good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's really funny now because it's, yeah, it seemed very silly at the time, but I was very stressed out about the whole thing. Um, but everyone was very, very kind. The other designers were super supportive. And I had a couple of them pull me aside and say, did you hear it? And I was like, hear what? I don't know what you're talking about. Like, Could you hear the difference? Apparently, and you can't see it in the video, but a couple of the designers were recording me walking and then my best friend was also there and she recorded it and you could hear the audible difference of the crowd just kind of losing it um and afterwards talking to some of the fans and, and hearing their reactions to things the lights the fact that I kind of came out in the dark and so it was very like ominous right so the storm lights were kind of having their fun time um and then the fact that not a lot of people cosplay storm apparently that's uh I didn't realize it was taboo, but when I submitted for her, or, um, I, I understand that she's very near and dear to a lot of people, and so they are very protective of her as a character. Um, so they were very excited to see her on a runway, and then I was told that I did her justice, so that definitely like made me feel very, very special, especially to do an iteration of Storm that had natural hair, and it wasn't bone straight. I didn't have like a wig on. I have locks myself. A lot of my family members also have locks. Um, so that was really important to me, and a lot of um, POC cosplayers definitely pointed that out to me, that that was really important to them as well. So it was uh, all around uh, a life-changing experience. I do not do runway, and I don't know if they'll get me to do it again. I think I have to, actually, <laughs> because I have to go back and judge, so I'll be going to runway again. But uh, it was, uh, I think it was worth it, but the nerves the nerves. <laughs> it's kind of fitting that we're talking about storm it's and your raining. storm look with this rain right now. I'm going to see it as a good thing and not a not an inhibitor to the, the recording right yes. now. But <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Okay, so I'm very superstitious when it comes to I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm like very superstitious, but I kind of will see things kind of as a sign. So when I submitted, it was also raining. Really? Yeah. Um, and right before when we flew out, it had rained when we were flying to San Diego. So I was like, wow. 
maybe she's like, hey, it's cool. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry about it. So the I guess spirit the of storm is here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've been blessed. We've been blessed with the rain. Although it's been super hot here in Austin, so I'm, I'm kind of happy we needed it. We were what on a fire ban like last yeah. week, so yeah, we definitely needed it. So definitely, yay. thanks, storm. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, you said that the audience had such a great reaction, and then you were audience the winner. audience winner. <laughs> what was that like to hear your name get called? Um. I thought I stood there for 30 seconds. Um, I saw it go up on the, like, I, I heard her say my name. Actually, I don't even know who said my name. I don't know if it was, I don't know who said my name. All I know is they said my name, and I stood there. Um, and in my head, I had to move my move your feet, Raven. You have to walk up front and go do the thing. You have to move. Um, but it was, I cried again. Apparently, I've become a crier. I was not a crier before her universe. I cry a lot now. It's good for your emotions. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely cried again. And like me and Rachel, like held hands and stuff, and we were just both like, ah. And Rachel's fantastic. I don't think I could have asked for a better co-winner. She's, we get along very well, very very well. Um, yeah, she's been fantastic, and that's probably one of the highlights of doing this whole thing. Is like I got a friend. Aww, <laughs> yeah. And then you get to do some very cool stuff for the Her Universe fashion brand and the Disney parks. I know you can't say too much because yeah. there's kind of the the Disney tape around <laughs> it, but what can you say about what you get to do since you were a winner of the show? Yeah, um, we actually did not know that there were going to be two collections when they first announced it, so that was very surprising to us. Um, I think we actually found out during the show that there was the talks of us maybe being able to do something with Disney aside from what we were doing through her universe because her universe obviously has all of their licensing um, through Disney as well so we are still in the design process for quite a bit of it um, I'm not sure if you know with fashion there's huge lead times for this so we can do a sketch today and it can take six months for something to actually be sampled out and made so a lot of it's going to be hurry up, do the designs, and wait is what we've been told. Um, so we haven't we haven't quite done too much of anything yet, but the just the opportunity in itself is is I don't even really know what to say about it. It is very educational. Um, Rachel doesn't really have a, a fashion background, so for me, it feels like because I didn't do corporate in the same sense. I actually ended up really leaning more towards entrepreneurship than going into corporate fashion so this is really fun for me um, to just be able to talk with other people in the same language because um, now that I kind of teach I wouldn't call it I guess the civilian sector <laughs> but now that I teach people that aren't necessarily in the fashion industry I have to use different terminology but getting to talk with the Harvard University and we get to use the same language and so that's been really fun to kind of talk with them and I'm sending in flats and you know I get to do all of the like things that I did in college and I'm like ah, I kind of miss it a little bit <laughs> don't get me wrong I love the sewing aspect of it and I don't think I could sit at a desk every day but it is nice to brush back up on those skills and remind myself that I, uh, I learned a lot when I was in school. <laughs> While you're designing the collection for Her Universe and for the Disney parks, you're also running your sewing studio, which you just got set up in your new location. It's yes. beautiful. Can you talk about that space? Yeah, the sewing studio is actually a direct result of the nonprofit work that I do here in Austin through Lifetime Learning Institute. Um, I'm actually on their board as their publicity coordinator, um, and I got involved with them through offering a sewing class. Um, so I started teaching the ladies there, and they primarily focus on continuing education for seniors. So we're talking like 50, 55 and up is typically their demographic of student. Um, so I taught with them 
twice, actually. And that second go around, it was the exact same class, but they took it again, which I thought was really interesting. And I asked them, I took a survey of the class, um, and we sold out both times, too, which was really interesting, too. And they were basically saying that there's really nowhere else that does it like this, um, that makes it affordable and tries to make it fun and isn't necessarily project-based. Um, what I did for LLI was I taught more of an academic style, so we talked about concepts more than anything else and outside of the actual physicality of sewing, because most of them have been sewing their whole lives. Um, they're very good at that part, but it's the styling and trying to pick silhouettes and understanding like how to best fit your body and fitting techniques and things like that. Those are the things that we kind of went over in that class. Um, and one of the things they kept asking for was a physical location. Um, and so that's kind of where that concept came out of. And I asked them during the initial planning process, it's like, what would you guys want in there? I said, this, is, this space is a direct reflection of elder Soas and what they wanted in their studio. So I made it for them as well as like obviously the greater Austin community, but I really wanted Soas, especially apparel Soas, to have a place to come, learn, not have to, you know, destroy their kitchen table with pens and, you know, sewing machines and that kind of thing, um, and not have to have a dedicated space of their own that they're responsible for. So with the studio, you can come in. We have five stations that are fully stocked with, honestly, everything that you could really want. Um, I've even had a couple of my sewists say, where did you get this from? I want to buy it from my house because I've never seen this tool before, and it's so useful. Um, so I, ha I have everything that you could possibly want in there, um, four very large cutting tables, an industrial sewing machine, an overlocker, a cover stitcher, um, literally everything, and it's permanently set up. So if you have a membership and you let me know that you're coming in, the tables will be set out for you, um, all of your stuff will be set up for you, the machine will be out, all that fun stuff. Um, but it also has the capability of kind of pushing all that stuff to the side so that we can do more academic style things. The plan is to eventually have like smaller designers from Austin come in and do talks, kind of like TED Talks, but fashion talks. Um, because I think there's such a need for slow fashion and I'm seeing that pop up more here in Austin where people want things that are sustainably made. They want to mint their own things. They want to create their own things because they understand that a lot of fast fashion is just not sustainable. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for the people that are making it, especially if it's not made ethically. So we're seeing the younger generation come in and the older generation are starting to meet with each other. And I wanted to make sure they had a space that they could do that and feel comfortable. Well, as we come to the end of our interview here, yeah. there's a question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast as a tie into the name, and that is, for you, what does it mean to be Texan? Ooh, what does it mean for me to be Texan? I would say the willingness to learn. Texas is definitely one of those places that the only reason Texas is what Texas is is because they've learned from their mistakes and they're willing to own up to them and keep moving forward. Starting a small business is definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It's harder than going to SCAD, which for anybody that's been, you know how hard that is. <laughs> um, but starting a small business and being very community-based, which means that I'm not in it for the money, I'm in it for the long haul, and I'm in it for trying to do what's best for those around me, I think is also very Texan. Texans helping Texans is like a huge thing here. So um, I've definitely leaned really hard into that. Um, but community is also really important here in Texas, and I'm seeing that happen very quickly. I was not expecting it to be as popular as it has been um, within our first month, because we opened up on the first. It hasn't even really been that long, but the community response and the support that I've gotten from Texans has been phenomenal, and it honestly makes it all worth it.
Where can people find you online? Ooh, so you can find me on my website. Um, that's slash so sew slash austin uh, dot com. You can also find me on the interwebs at uh, what that's so Raven K on Instagram, and my name is spelled R A E. V is in Victor, E-N, that extra E gets everybody. And then that's so Austin on Instagram as well. We actually just started our Facebook page last night. So um, we'll start to populate that, but look out for that kind of stuff. And um, if you go to our website, you can sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter is how you get all the details before it ends up anywhere else. So if you want the deets on what's going on in the Austin sewing community, that's the newsletter to be on. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's always a joy to hang out with you. <laughs> oh, my God. We have so much fun every time. We do. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to tell your story on Truly Texan, head over to the Austin American Statesman website and fill out our submission form. This podcast is hosted and edited by me, Hannah Ortega. You can find me on Instagram at HannahOrtegaATX. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.